You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome, one and all, to episode 53 of the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast, where we aim to ignite the flame and hobby, a flame of hobby, yes, the flaming hobby, in each and every one of your asses. How about that? I'm the Pimpcron, and this episode, I don't think I'm joined by anybody. I think it's just me, so you get to hear me ramble on, and uh, that's it. A lot of you just turned off this podcast. I'm sorry to hear that. So, what do we have... What do we have? What do we have? Well, I can tell you now, the Real Talk with the Pimpcron is discussing a guide to kitbashing. Exactly what that is, what the different levels of kitbashing are, some interest in kitbashing ideas, and some strategies on what to do if you want to start kitbashing. There is also a Want That or Want That Not on the Ultramarines dice and the White Scars dice, because why not just lump them together? There's also a Tesseract mailbox where a guy named Mike calls in, or writes in, and says that he uh, he shares his list on Brutality and says what he likes about the game and that he's been playing it, which of course thrills me. So, this technically is our one year anniversary. I said it last week, but that was the 52nd episode, so, yeah, I mean, it had been a year, but it was not... I don't know whether you do the 52nd or the 53rd, because I don't know. So anyway, this is like our second part of our one year celebration. Um, so what have I been up to? Well, I've been painting some damn Caradron Overlords, and I'm having a blast with it. They're, despite having a lot of details on them, they're actually pretty easy to work with. And I'm enjoying my Minions colors, my accidental Minions scheme. And I played a game of Brutality this Wednesday at the game club instead of 40k. And we shared that to the Facebook group. And uh, me and my friend Derek played. And I won the first game and he won the second game. I think it was 5-4 to four my win, 7-3 to three his win, I think. Um, but uh, we had a lot of fun with that. Anytime anybody wants to play Brutality, I jump at it because I love the game uh, for obvious reasons, I suppose. So what else have I been doing? I've been assembling Caradron Overlords. So not only did I paint Caradron Overlords, I've assembled Caradron Overlords. And after buying a frigate and an ironclad and two start collecting boxes and a couple... Um, uh, Aether Chemists and whatnot, I am about 1,500 points assembled into Caradron Overlords. So, as long as nobody derails me with a Brutality game this week at the club, at the club, I will be throwing, I will be making it rain, and I will also be playing my Caradron Overlords for the first real time. I told you it didn't go well for me and James the other week, uh, because I didn't know what I had was so powerful. But I'm excited to see exactly how it goes this week. Um, those of you who listen, or are, I keep confusing readers and listeners. Those of you who read my article each week will notice that it's been two weeks that I have not had an article posted on Bell of Lost Souls on Saturday mornings, which is my normal time slot at the moment. The previous week, I 
literally, like I said, I'm so busy this time of year. Uh, I just did not have time for an article, unfortunately. So that was my fault last week. That was the first time in five years I did not write an article. Uh, and then this week, I guess whoever was scheduling the articles, I missed the deadline because I turned it in on uh, Friday night and usually they'll schedule it, but I think they got somebody new scheduling articles on the weekends and uh, I don't think he waits up for me. So I'm going to have to start getting these in earlier. So the article I wrote this week will end up being on next week, I'm certain. So don't give up. Um, I will uh, have an article for you next week. And no, I have not quit the rap game. I'm still in it. So what else has been going on? Not a whole lot. I'm getting more donations for the Shorehammer charity auction, charity raffle. And I'm excited for that. And I really do want to urge each and every one of you to come to Shorehammer if you are anywhere near the Mid-Atlantic region in the U.S. Because everybody that comes to Shorehammer really enjoys themselves. Everybody's very laid back. Everybody is friendly. It's just a really, really great experience. And you can be tactical and you can be strategic and all of that without having a bunch of shitty, you know, spammy bullshit. So... Just want to throw that out there. And, um, you know, I don't, uh, I, I put all the money back into Shorehammer. So it's not like I'm, trust me, I am not getting rich off this in any sense of the word. Just like I'm not from the podcast, just like I'm not from Brutality, just like I'm not from my articles. I have a terrible, terrible, terrible track record of doing things for the love of it and never making any money off of anything. So, the um all the profits from Shorehammer go back into Shorehammer for the next year, buying more mats, buying more terrain, buying more signage, just making the entire thing better every single year. So it's just a great labor of love, just like brutality is, just like all the other things. Because I just I've it's really opened my eyes. Shorehammer has really opened my eyes to the wonderful people in our community. Of course, some people are dickheads. The good news is I've never had a dickhead come more than once one time at Shorehammer. And the reason why is because they don't feel comfortable. Everyone else is super nice and chill, and these people are dickheads. So they come once, and then they don't come the next year, which is fine by me. I would rather not have your ticket sale than you come and be a dick. So the point is, the problem with... Shorehammer being a casual and fluff convention is that most casual and fluff players are not willing to spend the money to travel, uh, you know, long distances and stay in a hotel and all that just to play casually. Of course, we have tournaments and all, but the aim is just having fun. The difference is, is competitive people take it very seriously and have no issue at all traveling long distances or going to another state or whatever to play. Um, so it does make it more of a struggle for us than it is every other event out there because every other event out there follows the typical, Hey, you know, competitive cheese is fine. Spam is fine. All that. Whereas ours, we don't. So ours is more quality over quantity. You know, we might only have, you know, 70 people in our, our Highlander tournament. It's capped at 70. Um, actually I think it's 66 because of the table space, but anyway, it's, I think it's capped at 66 and, oh man, my, my memory is terrible. 
It's either 66 or 80. <laughs> that's <laughs> whatever. But I mean, that's a fairly large tournament, but it's not the 200 people you'll see at Nova or some other place. And the reason being is that, you know, casual people don't tend to travel to be casual. They just chill out at home. So if you are a casual person and you are on the fence, come hang out at Shorehammer. We'd love to have you and you'll make new friends. And it's really cool that I've made so many new Facebook friends from Shorehammer. And then I see that all of them have made friends with other Shorehammer people. And it's just really cool to see everybody, you know, interact. And last year we even had somebody from Britain come and I'm not even exaggerating a line. Um, I think his name was Mike. Not positive. Um, I really don't remember, unfortunately, but he came all the way from Britain to come to Shorehammer. And that is freaking awesome. He said he had a great time and I expect him back this year. He said he was going to, but you know how lives go. All right. I've yammered on long enough. Go ahead and listen to your damn podcast and enjoy it. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey everybody, it's another edition of the Tesseract Mailbox, and today we have an email coming in to pimpcron at gmail.com from a person named Mike. He writes, good morning, my name is Mike and I have been lurking on your Brutality Facebook page for some time. I have been playing Brutality for about two months now with my mates and we are enjoying it. I like the freedom to make what I want in a model, but the restrictions keep it from being exploitable. At least, not too exploitable. I have an Oathsworn warband that is quite fun. My typical 7-point list is two Pistoliers, a Fanatic with Teleport and Protect, an Assassin, and a Bog Standard Melee. I Protect and Teleport the two Pistoliers forward to cause havoc while my Melee and Fast Guys do the Objective Capping. Sometimes I will drop the Assassin down to a basic Fast and take an Artifact. Anyway, I just wanted to share that I like the game. I have greatly enjoyed the fluff you have written in the rulebook and both expansions. I look forward to expansion number three. Cheers, Mike. First of all, I'd like to say thank you for writing in, Mike. I, uh, of course, you, brutality is my my baby, my pride and joy. My, uh, my pride and joy. Wow, what is wrong with me? But, um, yeah, I've put a lot of effort into this. I've uh, been working on it for, I guess, four years, something like that. And we have a fairly good following on Facebook. Um, it's actually interesting to see your list because it doesn't look like a bad battle plan, honestly. Those two Pistoliers, you know, they're... Well, I don't want to get into the specifics of it all because a lot of the people that listen probably don't play, so I won't bore everybody. But essentially... His list comes down to five models. Four of them are upgraded. So two ranged people upgraded to Pistoliers, a support person upgraded to a Fanatic, a Fast upgraded to an Assassin, and then just a normal melee. Uh, but sometimes he drops the Assassin down to a basic Fast and will take an artifact on somebody. So that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, I actually, the Oathsworn is one of the only warbands that I have not made yet. Um, I have most of the models selected, but I have not painted it yet. And um, the Oathsworn are essentially, for those of you who don't know, the Oathsworn are essentially like the only form of police force or Texas Rangers or, or what have you in the um, the Aether Realm. So uh, they are 
they have a couple tenants, but basically whoever hurts first is wrong. And uh, retaliation, they don't care about. Um, theft, they don't care about. Basically, all that's too piddly for them. They're always outnumbered, outgunned, and they have to be serious badasses because they're usually working alone or just with a partner, and they're always outgunned. So the Oathsworn actually are a lot of times um, people that are very powerful, too. They have either, you know, superpowers or magic, or they're just expert, you know, like um, One Piece level people, you know. Um, One Piece as in the anime. And, uh, you know, they're excellent at shooting or excellent at martial arts or whatever, because they have to be. And um, so I'm excited to get my Oathsworn Warband done, but I'm excited that you have an Oathsworn Warband. I would also be interested to hear what your friends are playing. But um, like I said, this is the first list I think I've seen shared on here. And, you know, Mike, you say you've been lurking on the Brutality Facebook page, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you guys are playing. And I'm super thrilled that you wrote in. But don't be a lurker. We want to see your models. We want to see your lists. If you play games, take pictures of them, all that sort of thing. Because, um, you know, you don't know how you might be inspiring somebody else to, you know, get into the game or give it a try or, or whatever. So anyway, Mike, I appreciate the nice email and all the praise. You know, I can't get enough of the praise. And I will talk to you all later. Um... You can, of course, reach me at pimpcron at gmail.com or facebook.com slash pimpcron or, of course, on the uh, phone number, which is in the show notes. Later. Want that or want that not? Well, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again where I either praise or take the piss out of some GW product. This week, we have two sets of dice, not one, not three, not 17, not 64, not 14,000, not 17 million, not any other number, but two. We have two sets of dice that have just come out with the announcement of the new Space Marines Codex. We have the Ultramarines dice and the White Scars dice. So, what do I think of the White Scars dice? Let's start with the White Scars dice. Now, I am known pretty well for taking the piss out of dice, um, but I only do that when they're shitty, so let's see what this is. The White Scars dice, first of all, are square. They're not rounded at all, like many of them, and I don't know how I feel about that. There's different people with different opinions on square dice versus rounded dice. Um, supposedly, from what I understand... Uh, square dice roll better or they roll more statistically. I don't know, maybe that's a wives' tale. But the colors are very uh, drastic on here. These are white dice with red pips and red, um, of course, the white scar symbol is red and yellow. So this is very high contrast. It's very easy to be seen by my old, elderly, 34-year-old eyes. So number one, that's that. I give it a thumbs up for the color contrast because it's white dice and red pips. I also like it that the sixes are the chapter symbol. So I think that's another good thing. I guess it's fine that the one is like an apothecary symbol, I guess, because you're like dead. Um, that's, you know, that's fine. But, you know, the point is, is that you know, a lot of times I shit on these dice because you can't tell the sixes and the ones apart. But the difference for this is, is that the, 
just at a very quick glance, the sixes are the symbol for the chapter, red and yellow lightning bolt. The ones are a apothecary symbol with wings and a skull. So they're both very, very different symbols, and they even have a different color. So you know immediately when you're glancing at a whole handful of these dice on the table, you know the yellow ones are the sixes. And I think that's fine. I actually really like these dice. I mean, I feel like the lightning bolts as pips, that's what it has, is little red lightning bolts. I feel like that's kind of bland, but, and these are $35. Good God. Do you remember, do you remember back in my day, Pepperidge Farms and I remember when I used to complain about $30 dice and, um, that was $1.50 a dice. Now they're $35 a dice or a dice set. All in all, though, I do like the White Scars dice. The Lightning Bolts are serving as the pips, so you literally just count those things. And it's not in the traditional symbol, you know, the shape of what these pips would be, but it's readable enough, and it's high contrast. So I really don't have anything too bad to say about the White Scars dice. Um, I think this is a big leap ahead compared to, let's say, their Beastmen dice or their stupid-ass Sylvaneth dice. Maybe they just make shitty dice for AOS. Maybe that's what it is. But the White Scars dice are a good step in the right direction, easily readable, uh, if not a little plain. Now the Ultramarines dice. The Ultramarines dice are immediately striking compared to the White Scars because they're entirely blue with white pips and white uh, symbols on it. Just like the White Scars dice, the Ultramarines dice have the ultramarine symbol as their six, which is cool, and they've got the same exact uh, apothecary symbol for their ones, which is also cool. Now, as far as the actual pips, they have Roman numerals, black Roman numerals, on top of a white symbol, such as their troop symbol or their heavy symbol. I'm not liking this as much as the white scars dice. Aesthetically, I think the blue and white dice for the Ultramarines look a lot better. I think they're a lot prettier to look at. But I'm really not digging this, uh, the little black lines for the Roman numerals on white background. They are, um, I mean, if you're looking at a whole, think about this, you, you roll 30 dice and all you see is white symbols with black, black lines on them. Well, that doesn't really tell you anything. Um, but so the sixes and the ones are very identifiable and distinguishable from each other. So that's a plus. The dice themselves, blue and white, is very pretty. That's a plus. The pips themselves are very easily seen, but not easily distinguishable from each other because Roman numeral three and a Roman numeral four don't look that different. They both have a line. One has a V. You know what I mean? It's, it's not really that different. Or better yet, the two and the three are not that different. So you're going to be having to look harder at these things. Now, the good news is, is it does seem like they learned from their past mistakes. If you recall me shitting on the Sylvaneth dice, that, you know, the there were little tree branches with leaves for the pips. And the thing that really pissed me off about them is that they didn't even color co coordinate the pips. So like, for instance, you could have a blue two pip, an orange two pip, a green two pip, and a dark green two pip. What the hell people make all the two pips blue or some other color, make all the threes one color, make all the fours one color, etc, etc. 
at least these 40k dice for Ultramarines, they are black Roman numerals on a symbol. So it appears that the number three is the troop symbol. Um, the number two is the, I think it's the fast symbol. And um, the number four is the heavy symbol. Um, I don't know what five is, but you get the point. Uh, probably the elite symbol, I would assume, but it's not in the picture. So, all in all, I think the Ultramarines dice are prettier than the White Scars, but the White Scars are much more utilitarian and easily red. Um, so, all in all, I think uh, this is a want that for me, as far as dice go. Of course, I don't play Ultramarines or White Scars, so not going to be getting these, but they're... They serve their purpose well enough, and this is kind of like a lukewarm recommend on my part. If you have these armies, obviously, you'll probably want them, and they're easy enough to use. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Welcome to Real Talk with the Pimpcron. I am the aforementioned Pimpcron. If you've gotten this far into the show and don't know that, then I feel sorry for you because you have very poor attention span and maybe you skipped ahead. So what am I talking about today? Well, I was going through my Caradron Overlord sprues, you know, and I was assembling things or whatever, and it struck me how many awesome extra bits go into these kits, um, specifically for the Caradron Overlords. And there's something interesting to talk about, I believe, which would be kit bashing. Now, there are several different ways to kit bash. There are several different, you know, th people can mean a lot of different things when they say kit bashing. So, um, but there's a kind of a fine line between proxying and kit bashing. So, for instance, proxying a model. Um, I have an entire uh, Space Wolves army that is all proxied because I use the Mantic Forge Fathers. Um, it's actually my squat army for 40k, but I use the Space Wolf rules and I've made all my units essentially Space Wolf units. But I'm using the short little stubby Mantic Dwarves in uh, from their Dead Zone game and I use all their tanks and all that stuff. So that would be proxying. Um, another point of proxying would be that I use my lizard men from Age of Sigmar as my Chaos Demons army in 40k, which might sound kind of weird. I, uh, but I already had the lizard men army from Age of Sigmar, and I thought it'd be really cool to have a demons army once I read a tiny little blurb, a paragraph in this old Space Wolves Codex, where they met a lizard people race on a planet, and um, the Space Wolves had a mission there or whatever, but it was pretty cool, and I thought, oh, dude, you know, I could do everything magic instead of technology, so what better army to do that with, and the 5-up involve that they get is from the... Um, the brass collars or the gold collars, the gold bracelets that all the lizard men have. So um, it actually worked out pretty darn well. Demons have monsters, lizard men have monsters, demons have a bunch of small troops, lizard men have a bunch of small troops. Just worked out really well. Um, so that is what proxying is. That is taking a model and saying, hey, this is not what it looks like. This is actually something else. This is how I'm going to play it. Uh, an example of a bad proxy would be, hey, see this tissue box? Yeah, this is my Land Raider. That's a shitty proxy. So, 
I mean, I think we've all been there at some point, but try not to be that guy. Try to, you know, it's one thing to try out a unit uh, briefly, you know, just to see how it works and see if you want to spend the money on it. But you can't just bring your shoebox every week to the gaming store or people are going to start getting irritated. So that is proxying. What I'm actually talking about here is kit bashing. And when I was looking through the Carriage on Overlord Spurs, they have so many extra bits that you simply just can't get anywhere else. And this sounds like a, a advertisement for Games Workshop, but I, I was blown away. So for one, the Endrin Riggers or the um, Sky Wardens, it's the same box for Caradron Overlords. Not only do you get the Caradron Overlord, you know, models, the Bubble Boys is who they are, uh, the ones that float with the little balls. And, you know, you get all the bits to build this, and I've got like no lie, out of two full sprues of assembling, I probably have half a sprue full of just extra bits. And it's stuff that you don't have to put on your Caradron Overlords. They're actually things that are completely applicable to other armies. For instance, the Caradron Overlords always repair their own stuff and build their own ships and whatnot. So these sprues, specifically of the engine riggers, they come with a ton of extra bits, such as like um, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but it was like five cordless drills come in this set. And they're like on a little strap, so you can glue them to the belt of the Caradron Overlord. But wouldn't that also work awesome for Imperial Guard? You know, the mechanics or, or the people, the engineers, you know, the, um, the Astra Militarum Engineer, uh, Corps of Engineers. That would be pretty cool. There's also, um, they call them rivet guns, but they actually look a lot like an air nailer. So they're, um, they have rivet guns and air nailers that are not all in hands, you know, like someone's holding them. They also have a couple that are free and loose where you can put them where you want. And that is also an amazing bit that you just really can't get anywhere else. Now, as for, uh, as for the ironclad in that set, there's a couple key things that I noticed. Number one, there's like a, um, uh, maybe a sextant is a bad word, um, not a bad word, but like a, the improper word for it. But you know how ships had like the spyglass and it could rotate and it would move and whatever. It was like fixed on the side of the ship. Well, the Ironclad has one of those and that could be used in several different applications for 40k or Age of Sigmar or, or like in terrain. Um, I really like that. But you know, something else has struck me and this is going to sound stupid but there's a little guy hanging off the side of the ironclad and he's strapped to the ship and he's painting the hull of the ship. And I was so blown away that he's got a little paintbrush with paint on the end of it. And that is pretty amazing, really, because there could be some funny applications for that. Whether you've got like an orc, you know, painting Yumi's suck on the side of something or whatever... A paintbrush is not something, a 28 millimeter paintbrush is not something you usually run into. And I thought that was pretty cool. You know, so there's kit bashing in the way that you are cutting up a model and changing things on it. Like, oh, uh, let's say, you know, I like these legs from this model and I'm going to put them on this other model or something like that. Or, you know, maybe you've got models from Mantic or whatever, and their weapons look better. Or you've got a Chaos Lord, he's got a power sword, but you really don't like the basic power sword. You happen to have a sword from Dark Elves, and, yeah, or not a power sword, but um, just a regular sword that looks really cool and orna ornate from Age of Sigmar, and you want to put that on him and just call it a power sword. 
you know, or um, let's say you take um, pieces from a Chaos Spawn, because they come with a lot of different options in their box. That way you can make your Chaos Spawn look different. And the, you know, you want to take one of those tentacles and you want to cut off the arm of your champion and your squad and give him the tentacle coming out of his armor or, you know, things like that. And they also includes green stuff. So kit bashing is, you know, it's not proxying. Kit bashing is when you take other parts from other things and incorporate them into a new model. You're physically building a new model. So... Um, we have a guy in our group named Jacob, and he loves the kit bash. That's that's all he does. All of his models look really cool. He uses different you know bits and pieces from different stuff, and he green stuffs a lot and and things like that. So you know you've all seen people um, chaosify their land raider or their rhino or whatever, and take green stuff and put tentacles coming out the side or breaches in the hull or putting eyes on the side of it or a tongue. Um, all of that is considered kit bashing as well. But there's a much, much easier way to kitbash than building a completely new model from scratch from a bunch of different pieces. And that goes back to my Caradron Overlords example. Is that, you know, there's a million ways to make something look unique and make it look interesting using bits from other sets. So this is very important that you never, ever throw away your your spurs because nearly every single set or kit comes with extra pieces to either make another unit or just flavor pieces like those cordless drills I was talking about. Um, now also the engine riggers come with some other cool stuff because if you don't make the sky wardens, sky wardens have these bombs that um, only hurt flying creatures. I forget what they're called, but it's like three floating bombs on a, on cables and I was thinking to myself, that would be so cool as an objective marker or, you know, dangerous terrain or um, part of a narrative mission or something like that. It comes with, um, I think it's three sets of those and there's two or three bombs per set. And um, just put those on a 25 millimeter base and, you know, use them as servo skulls or use them however you want. But the floating bomb thing really looks cool. Um, they also have small uh, demolition charges that you can put on their belts with like a clock timer or or whatever. And um, so, like I said, I was just blown away by the Indian Riggers. The, um, the Spurs looked awesome. So that's basically my point here is that, you know, of course you can proxy things to make them look unique. Of course you can completely kitbash and rebuild things from the ground up to make them look unique. But you could also do what I usually do, which is take these extra bits, like the cordless drills or the air the air nailers or whatever, and incorporate them in something else. Um, so let's say that you've got um, a basilisk, and it's got that little, you know, crude artillery on the back on the deck. Um, what cooler way to give them some uniqueness or some pizzazz as to hang some of these cordless drills on the side of it or take one of the toolboxes that come with the ironclad um the caradron overlord's ship the ironclad and you know these toolboxes you can open them up and they've got little screwdrivers and wrenches and whatnot and they also have a little pistol and it's it's actually pretty cute and pretty uh flavorful and, um, you know, put that little toolbox next to your guys that are running the, the Medusa or the uh, Basilisk. And uh, I meant Basilisk, not Medusa. But um, 
you know, for those of you who actually crew your batteries for Imperial Guard, you could also hang them on the side of your rhinos or the um hang them on the side of um your uh, land raider, things like that. You know, you see people do this all the time, like they'll wrap up little pieces of um, burlap or something and, and make it like, oh, this is the camouflage rolled up and attached to the side of the tank. Or, um, you know, actually the tanks often come with like little gas cans or just various little things to make it your own. And what makes it really cool is when you actually cross-pollinate those pieces from set to set, and which is exactly what I'm talking about right now. And, uh, so I could definitely see anybody that is, um, you know, handy, like a Army Corps of Engineers in Warhammer, or maybe a Tech Marine, or something like that, um, using all of these bits. Now, I know that, um, Just James used a lot of his extra bits from his Drakari Raiders, because they have all kinds of blades and spikes and chains with hooks and... They've got the Grizzly Trophy, which is these poles with, like, um, uh, towel skulls and heads on them, or severed heads, or whatever. Um, and uh, those make awesome, you know, train pieces or objective markers, or just pizzazz on your base. And a lot of these vehicles also come with extra people, like they're being crewed, or they're being manned by soldiers. And uh, I do know that... Um, uh, just James has taken some of those extra pieces from his uh, Drakari Raiders, you know, and took the succubus off the side of it and, you know, put her somewhere else or included her in a unit or something like that. And um, I know he also made a custom solitaire out of one of the people from, I guess they're called Vipers from the um, Harlequins, whatever that or the Star Weaver, or Fate Weaver, not Fate Weaver, <laughs> that's, a, that's a completely, I don't think uh, Harlequins would be riding on a Fate Weaver, don't think so, but I think you get the point, so what you need to do is make sure you keep all of your bits, if anybody happens to be throwing out bits, you make sure you gobble them up, um, I've actually seen people buy entire um, lots of bits online, but they tend to go for pretty high, and you know, honestly, I can see why they would, because it's so hard to cultivate your own, um, you know, set or your own resource pool of bits. It's very, very hard uh, because you have to buy a lot of kits to have a lot of extra bits. And I did not mean for that to rhyme, but it did. So here we are. And make sure you don't throw out your own spurs because it might be tempting. You think, I'm not going to use this. I'm not a kit basher, blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to throw it away. Um, and, you know, dealing with the whole kit, the uh, bits thing is kind of a pain in the ass, too, because you either got to leave them on the sprue and be like me, where I have literally uh, probably three feet high of sprues stacked, where, um, you know, I just leave them on the sprue because I'm lazy, but also because I don't feel like clipping them and sorting them and all that. My friend Bliggity Blam Steve religiously clips and sorts all of his bits and then just never builds anything. So there's that route as well that you could go. But like recently in the last six months or so, I had a friend who had clipped all these bits and um, he, you know, he, he basically texted me and said, Hey, do you want these bits for anything? Cause I'm going to throw them away. And I'm like, hell Yeah. So he gave me an ungodly amount of clipped bits from Empire and Chaos Demons and Space Marines and and whatever. A ton of stuff. Um, 
So just be on the lookout for that. And another final tip for kit bashing is that the more elite the unit, the cooler bits usually come with it. For instance, the Vanguard and uh, Sternguard veterans for S Space Marines, they come with a lot of extra stuff, whether it be purity seals or, um, you know, all the special weapons or really ornate chain swords or just a ton, ton, ton of stuff. Um, some of them come with battle honors or, or laurels to put on their helmet. Um, it's just a, just a ton of stuff. So keep an eye on that for when you take your elite units as well, because the troops often don't come with that much stuff. They might come with a servo skull or whatever, but the elite stuff comes with a lot. Um, I know that Devastator squads are another favorite because they come with servo skulls and other stuff and um, melt-a-bombs, and I do know that the Raptor and Warp Talon kit for Cast Space Marines come with a shit ton of stuff too, because you only use one or the other, and if you're making Warp Talons, number one, you poor soul, they're not very good, but if you're making Warp Talons, you have all these extra really cool looking bits f f that should have gone with the Raptors. And now you can use them for whatever, whether it be a thunder hammer or chain swords or lightning claws or whatever. So I think I've rambled on long enough, but I just wanted to discuss actual kit bashing and exactly where we fall. So to sum it up, we have proxying, we have kit bashing, which is building from the ground up, and then we have kit bashing, which is just adding unique accents that fit the fluff of your army and make them look different. So... I hope you enjoyed this, and hopefully we've given you a little bit to think about. Thanks, as always, for listening, and you can support the show on Patreon if you feel like it. If not, fuck you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you can find us at patreon.com slash pimpcron, and of course, write in, as always, at the email or the Facebook page, and come hang out at Shorehammer. That's another thing. Come hang out at Shorehammer. It's in the end of November in Ocean City, Maryland. Come do it. You won't regret it. <laughs>